0: You're listening to the Apple Insider Podcast.
1: Welcome to episode 131 of the Apple Insider Podcast. I'm your host, Victor, and joining me is the inestimable Neil Hughes.
0: Victor, you have quite a booming voice today.
1: Do I need to do that again without quite as much? No,
0: no, 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 it just sounded good. I liked it. All
1: right. So, here on iPod Insider, we talk about all things iPod right? We talk about all things iPod Nano. We talk about iPod Shuffle. We talk about iPod Classic. We talk about iPod Touch. We talk about all things iPod, right?
0: <laughs> well, what's funny is um, I've been saying for a few months now here on the podcast that I expected an iPod refresh or update this summer. Um, you got and, one. Right. I, I did. I was right. And what's funny is... Um, you know, when you, when you work in this business and you, and you do it, if you have, you know, some sort of common sense and how it works, Apple is not that surprising. They're actually very predictable, very routine, very steady in how they do things. And the iPod Touch has been on a two-year upgrade cycle for a while, and it hadn't been touched in two years, no pun intended there. And... um. Yeah. So I just had said a few times here on the podcast, you know, I, I think that we'll probably get some form of an iPod touch update this year. Uh, it's not a very big one, but um, if you are in the market for an iPod touch, um, you now get double the storage for less money. So now uh, starts with 32 gigs for 199 or 128 gigs for 299. But really the real story here is that the iPod Nano and the iPod Shuffle are dead.
1: Okay, so I understood when they said that they weren't going to make any more iPod Classic, and they did that because they simply couldn't get the hard drives any longer. What's what's the reason for killing the iPod Nano and the iPod Shuffle beyond they're just not selling enough?
0: I think that's the entire reason. That's it, huh? I mean, right? It's got to be it. Hmm. That's the only thing I can think of. I mean... I, I really like the iPod Nano. I, I to be fair, I, I like it, but I don't own it. So you know, it's you not didn't like like it Nano. that much, did you? Right, but um, you know, if they made um something uh th- like that that had was a little more capable in terms of like you know. Uh, doing airplay or whatever, it would be something that I would consider, you know, I would have liked to see something that form factor in that size be like an Apple TV remote or something. I think that would have been cool, but I, I think it was a really well-designed, pretty brilliant device. Um, I had the clip on nano before that. Um, and I used to just run with that exclusively. And I loved which, it. Which clip on nano, the clip on nano with the screen or the clip on nano with the screen, because the clip on one, the six gen was not a clip on you're thinking of the
1: shuffle. Right, there was a clip on Shuffle, but the right. sixth, There's there's one clip gen... on Nano.
0: There's one clip on Nano that's the square. That's the one that people turned into a watch.
1: Yeah, that's the sixth gen one. Yeah,
0: that's the one I'm talking about. That's the only clip on nano.
1: Yeah. Yeah, that was the sixth generation one. The seventh generation was the uh the, the rectangular with the screen with a home button. Yep. It looks more like a small iPhone. Except that all the icons are wrong. <laughs> yeah, so I have a couple of the, the sixth gen nano which I really liked, but I, I haven't really used them in a few years either. Um, and just for fun, the other day, I was trying to revive my iPod video. I have a fifth gen iPod, which predates the classic. Mm-hmm. And it's the darndest thing. It will work as an iPod, but when I connect it to the Mac, it, it uh, iTunes says it can't use it. Mm. I, I think we've just reached the point where... You know, we have to stop and ask, what are people using these things for? What is what is the real reason these things exist? And there were two reasons that you had an iPod Shuffle or or an iPod Nano, right? And they were you were running or otherwise working out, mm-hmm. right? Or you wanted something affordable to give your kid, right? And you know, at, I, I think Shuffle, when I got them, was was what one thirty, one twenty, um, something like that,
0: somewhere around there.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And the cost of the iPod Touch is one ninety
0: nine. Well, no, 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 you're saying the Nano is like one twenty. The Shuffle was like fifty bucks.
1: Yeah, the Shuffle was forty nine. The the the, the yeah. Nano with the screen was
0: yeah, like one thirty something like that. Yeah,
1: that's what I remember. So the the leap between the Nano to a, a fully functional touch device that can run apps is it's money. It's it's. Crosses that 149 threshold where you have to start thinking about how much you're spending, but it's not like buying a phone for your kid.
0: Right. It's a, a gateway drug, if you will. Uh, it gets people hooked on the app store, gets in the ecosystem, and then they want to get an iPad or an iPhone or both or Mac or whatever.
1: Right. And the, the other market was, as I said, fitness. And fitness now lives on Apple Watch. So if you're going running, you put music in the Apple Watch and you take off and you go and you use your Bluetooth connected headphones.
0: So now that the iPod, Nano and Shuffle are dead, uh, I would hope that this year's presumed uh, Apple Watch refresh um, really ups the internal storage because the, the Apple Watch has eight gigabytes of storage, but only if you're loading music onto it, you can do a maximum of two gigabytes. And that's just not enough. Um, as somebody who works out solely with my watch and I don't uh, bring my phone with me when I go for a run, I would much rather have as much usable as I want. If I don't want to install any third-party apps on my watch and I just want to load it up with, you know, four or six gigabytes of music, whatever I can fit on there, I should be able to do that.
1: Yeah. And that was the original argument with, with larger storage iPods way back in the day. You know, we used to have iPods that were 10 gig, 15 gig, and 20 gig. And you know, then all of a sudden we got a 30 gig iPod or a 40 gig and then an 80 gig. And we wanted to be able to load them up and load all of our music libraries on them instead of being able to only carry a few thousand songs at a time. For your runs, you, you could do smart playlists and you could set up different playlists for different days, for example, and switch playlists out. But you don't want to pay that much attention to it, I sense. You don't want to actually have to manage this, am I right?
0: Right. It would be nice to just be able to load more music on there. Some of this is going to be addressed with watch OS 4. They're going to allow multiple playlists now, which will be great. But again, you're still limited by that two gigabyte number. Um, and it would be nice to have a combination of playlists and some more storage and some more flexibility. You know, hopefully the third generation, you know, series three Apple watch will address some of that as well and give us maybe 16 gigabytes of storage, maybe a little more. I still remain skeptical about an LTE radio um, in the watch just because I don't see that getting a full day of battery life when used on its own without it being paired with a phone. But in a perfect world, you just have Apple Music or iTunes Match or I, uh, iTunes in the Cloud or whatever they call it now, iCloud Music Library. Um, and just have all of your music accessible that way to stream. That would be amazing. But um, considering the space constraints of the Apple Watch um, and the power needs of LTE, I'm guessing that is not
1: going to be happening at least this year. But we'll see. Who knows? And, and there are power management tricks that you can do. You know, you can say, if we're in the presence of the phone, if we're in, connected to the phone, either via Bluetooth or, or Wi-Fi, we're in range of the phone that um, we don't have to power on the LTE radio. We can put it to sleep and not use that that power. And when that connection breaks, wake it up. Yeah, I mean, if you could get,
0: you know, put it this way, if Apple could get a couple hours of battery life of Bluetooth audio streaming, LTE, um, GPS running, all that kind of stuff, would they ship that? Or would they, they w- ship that? Yeah, like, is that enough battery life to say that this is a usable product? <laughs>
1: That's obviously the balancing act. They have to ship the product that people are going to want and not be disappointed in and be able to say it's the same battery life as before or it's even better.
0: Yeah, like where's the limit, right? Like half marathon runners. If you run a half marathon, you should be able to get to max that bad boy out. Stream music, Bluetooth, um, GPS, uh, you know, uh, run tracking, all that kind of stuff. You should be able to get at least, what, you know, an average pace for a 12-mile run?
1: I think it's doable, but you don't want to reach the end of the run and have no battery. Exactly. You, you want to be able to and, reach and this, the end of the run and still go for the rest of the half day.
0: Th- these are some of the problems that Apple has run into with the Apple Watch, and it's important now that we're looking at the Apple Watch as the iPod successor. Because... When the Apple Watch first came out, they were very conservative with the apps about battery life in order to conserve it. And then they came out and admitted afterwards the improvements they made in watchOS 2 and watchOS 3 where they found that people were not interacting with the watch as much as they thought. So then they went to allow some of these apps to use some more processing power because people were getting over a day out of it. But when they were testing it on their own, they were testing out on the assumption that people were going to be opening apps on it because that's what they thought it was going to work like. And they were messaging and doing all this and doing all that. And for the most part, people just use it as a notification device. However, um, I could see a situation in which once you pack in an LTE radio and can leave your phone at home, now now it changes and now you start interacting with it more. And so not only is the LTE radio draining your battery, but you're draining it more because you're using it more. And then that becomes like a double crunch on the battery. So I think Apple is kind of in between a rock and a hard place with what they do with the Apple Watch, but it will be nice to see – uh, I'm assuming you know some more attention placed on it now that the iPod is for the most part dead, with the exception of the iPod Touch. Um, if you want a portable music player to bring to the gym, I think the Apple Watch is going to be the way to go going forward. It's just you know going to be a little pricey.
1: I, I, my question is: so yes, if you're if you leave your phone at home and you're interacting with the watch, you're interacting with it more, but you're also not interacting with it the same way that you would with your with your phone. True right you you are not scrolling all of your Twitter feed or Facebook feed on your watch you're no. not looking at, at videos of cute cats and cheeseburgers on your phone on your watch
0: no and and that's okay um, I wouldn't mind losing that kind of stuff I use it in very different ways like for example um, I almost never use dictation on my phone but I prefer obviously dictation on my watch just because of the nature of text input
1: yeah it's it's felt to me like dictation on the watch has a few too many steps to be able to do it, right? When I was trying to do it, it feels like it's not nearly as immediate as I want it to be. I I want to be able to just simply tap one thing and start dictating. And there are a couple of intermediate steps.
0: Yeah, we've talked about this a lot where the best experience on the watch is being as hands-free as possible and interacting with it as little as possible. You know, I would hope that uh, as things continue, to get better with it, it gets to a point where you don't really have to touch the screen or, uh, you know, touch the digital crown or anything like that. I think that it's going to take time to get there. But if people are looking to, you know, now the iPod is dead, where do we go? I think the future of the iPod has always been in the Apple Watch. They just didn't brand it the iPod Watch. I think you're right. I mean, it's a logical successor to the 6th generation iPod Nano that we just mentioned, actually. The screen size is similar. The interface is not that dissimilar. Um, they even had watch faces on that with one of the software updates
1: they put out to encourage people to buy watch bands for it. It's, it's very much exactly what you're saying. It's, uh, the future of the iPod is the watch. I think the most impressive
0: thing about that sixth gen iPod nano, the clip on one was the fact that in its small form factor, they still somehow managed to squeeze in an entire 30 pin plug.
1: Yeah. When you look at that, the 30 pin plug takes up, uh, mm, the entire that- thing basically. Well, the the depth of that thing, right? The depth of it is almost a centimeter deep, right? Mm-hmm. If you're talking about the the internal receptacle with pins on the back of it for its connection, and the width of it is is you know ninety percent of the whole iPod.
0: Yeah, it's 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 amazing technical achievement that they managed to fit that giant port on there um, in such a small frame. Uh, everything about that device was very impressive. They even hid the uh, FCC ID information underneath the clip so it had a clean back on it. They were technically in compliance with the rules of displaying it on the device even though you couldn't see it.
1: Well, that happens a lot on devices, right? There there are many devices that are made of black plastic, yes? Right, yeah. And on those devices made of black plastic, what color ink do you think the FCC information is printed on? <laughs> printed on in black. Yes. And as long as you rotate it under the light just right, you can see... The FCC information printed there, that passes. Mm -hmm. But you're right. Apple spends a lot of time focusing on how to get a clean look, a clean design. And they do a good job. So let's pour one out for the iPods. Absolutely. And long live the iPod watch.
0: I loved the iPod classic and I love that clip on Nano. I actually had a tiny 30 pin Bluetooth adapter that I would plug into that tiny iPod Nano. And it got about 45 minutes of battery life because it was not meant to have a wireless transmitter on it. But that was enough for me to get a workout in at the gym.
1: You you know, when you do that, you're not that far off from the the Sony TV watch. Do you remember the Sony <laughs> yep, watchman? Yeah, I remember that. Right? The Sony Watchman had a had a screen in it black and white screen and you could watch tv it was this giant bulky watch with an antenna that ran up your arm to uh to an arm clip up on your above your elbow mm-hmm. so that you could tune in tv signals <laughs> putting the bluetooth adapter on this thing neil that's that's uh i like wearing i like
0: using uh wireless headphones at the uh at the gym and it worked yeah
1: See, when I wore it as a watch, I was always afraid of washing my hands because washing your hands was a chance for water to enter that thirty-pin port. That's true, yeah. You know, and and it's pe- people. I think people have a lot of misconceptions about the watch. People feel like the first generation watch is not water resistant because Apple does such a good job of talking about how Series Two is waterproof. Yeah,
0: but people swam with it.
1: Right. And and the, the first generation and series one are both reasonably water resistant, but people believe that they aren't. Uh, there are tons of people who were talking about how, you know, there, there are people who totally misunderstand what we're getting in the watch. People say, you know, it didn't have glucose monitoring built in, therefore they failed. People say it doesn't have expandable watch bands that you can you can add to increase battery life or increase other other functions. Uh People get upset about this stuff, and you're missing what it does do. You're missing who it's for and what it solves. And that these things we did get, we did get these functions. They just require, you know, the the continuous glucose monitoring requires the thing that you wear because it has to auto-inject.
0: Right. Right? It can be, a, it can be the, the center of a new platform of connected health devices. In much the way that the iPhone is kind of the center of your world, that the Apple Watch envisions itself as the center of your health, and also happens to be a pretty good iPod.
1: Absolutely. You know, and it's interesting because when we talk about iPod, and obviously the focus, the first focus is music. And we talk about watch and the center of a health platform. So there was a story about a cochlear implant, where for people with, with hearing loss, who would would be the, the correct market for a cochlear implant, um, there is now a cochlear implant that works with the iPhone. Yep. Does it also work with the uh, the watch? Do you think probably not?
0: Why not? Well, because I mean, unless unless it's a generic Bluetooth cochlear implant.
1: I'm looking here. Let's see. This is the Cochlear Nucleus Seven, and it lets people stream audio directly to hearing implants from an iPhone, an iPad, or an iPod Touch. Uh, previously, Cochlear users had to wear a special Bluetooth accessory alongside so it the So it's just as integrated processor. Bluetooth. So yeah,
0: it should work with the watch. That shouldn't be a problem. Because it's, it's just regular Bluetooth. It's not like it has anything special. Yeah. Apple, That's, in the early days brilliant. of the iPhone, it used to be that the Bluetooth was very locked down. They obviously opened it up. But the watch is still knocked down, locked down. The watch will connect to health devices, and it will connect to audio devices. But other than that, doesn't really doesn't really connect to much. Um, That may be changing um, as the future comes. uh, Certainly, um, you know, as you mentioned, the glucose monitor and whatever. um, But again, those fall under the category of health devices. So, But I don't know what else you'd want to connect to it anyhow. It's either audio or health. You're not going to connect a stylus to your watch.
1: (laughs) I don't know, man. Not sure how you'd charge it, but, you know, you could take the the Apple Pencil and start sketching doodles to send to each other. <laughs> but that's that's one of the things that we found with the watch, right? No no one really draws these doodles to send to each no. other. Right? No. So th- there's been definitely a learning process about what the watch is for and who who Just needs as the there was a learning process with, the, with
0: it. just as there was a learning po- process with the iPod. You know, the first one was Firewire Mac only. Um, you know, the touch we uh, the wheel originally turned on it um
1: the physical yeah
0: i mean you know a lot has changed over the years and apple learned that there were different interfaces that were better for different sizes and different form factors and then obviously ultimately they they came upon the iphone which was the successor to all of it but it, it's funny that you know when people were imagining the first iphone they were thinking in terms of ipod and a click wheel and that would be how you'd interact with it um steve jobs on stage even made a joke about it with like a rotary phone in place of where the click wheel would go um, so, the, you know, the iPod is a great example of Apple kind of reinventing itself and not sticking to one way of doing it as they broaden the uh, the platform. Um, you look at the um, the the risks that they took you know the, the Nano obviously was shrunk down but then once they got into the shuffle it was completely different didn't even have any buttons on it it was all controlled through the in- well eventually they had it just controlled through the inline remote and they went back on that
1: but the iPod was well, a- yes because that sucked right uh, and, and, and there, was the, there was the that was the third gen shuffle and it was the chewing gum stick with an LED and you controlled it with the switch on the headphones And you had to watch its LED status change and interpret what the LEDs meant. Right. And there were about 15 different things that it knew to communicate with a different combination of LEDs. And no one understood any of them.
0: But you think about like the fat Nano too. That was a, a very, I think it was like the third gen Nano or something. That was the third gen. And it didn't, yeah. it didn't last very long. And then they scrapped it. And then they, they completely reinvented everything with
1: the, the clip-on Nano, the sixth gen. So,
0: you know, there was a lot well, of- So there was the fourth and the fifth generation. gen.
1: And the fourth gen, the fourth gen Nano was kind of proportionally similar to the, the seventh gen Nano. But the fifth one was the one that got the camera. Right. And so there were people duct taping it to the bumpers of their cars and taking videos with uh, with iPads strapped to their cars, iPods strapped to their cars, rather.
0: Yeah, I, I always admired in the iPod lineup Apple's willingness to kind of experiment and try something new and try something different um, with different form factors and different input methods and stuff. They weren't always hits, um, but it was a unique way for them to expand the lineup um, and especially when you compare now to, you know, iPhone and iPad are essentially the same from top to bottom in terms of how they look and, and how you interact with them for the most part. Um, the, the iPods were uh, kind of a eclectic mix of products.
1: They, they really gave them the freedom to experiment. Yeah. Speaking of experimentation, we have a leaked part that we wrote about today. And this happens from time to time. And usually the leaks that we see are, are frequently things like outer enclosures, you know, the the machined aluminum back of an iPhone or an iPad, right. for example. But this one is a PCB, a printed circuit board. And you and I were talking about this this morning. Uh, it looks for all the world as what we have is an inductive coil for inductive charging yeah. and a lightning port.
0: Yeah, I, I don't know enough about wireless charging technology to really expand on this in any way my interpretation when i saw it was that perhaps it was the component that that provides the juice and gives the power uh but most people in the comments seem to dismiss it as oh it's too big because it couldn't fit in the phone and they were thinking it would be a thing that would receive the power
1: well so you need both the the way that inductive charging works is that you have a coil in a charging plate Mm -hmm. and you have a coil in the device that you're charging and when those two are aligned then you have the most efficient inductive charging Mm -hmm. right and that's why people put magnets in products to try and help them line up properly Mm -hmm. you know that's why your coil in your uh your apple watch charger has a magnet on it so that it centers itself so that you have the most efficient charging when they're not aligned you you don't have efficient charging or sometimes you don't have charging at all so that's what you do here to, to get them to line up. And you notice you've got that nice big hole in the center of that coil where you could plop a magnet, mm-hmm. right? So do you when you look at this, do
0: you see this as something that could be an external charging accessory to charge an iPhone? That's
1: kind of what that's I That's what I thought
0: it, it was too, because it's got this lightning port supposedly on the side. At least it has the same number of pin connectors as a lightning port. Um, so my thought was perhaps this is a, an accessory that ships with it much like the... Um, uh, the Apple Watch dock that Apple sells, it has a female mm-hmm. lightning port on it. You plug in a lightning cable to it, and then that provides juice, and then you just lay your phone on it.
1: Right. Now, it's not that this is too wide or too tall to uh, to, to fit inside an iPhone enclosure. It's that it's thick. Right. And it's thick because you you can't use... So there's, there's a physics problem here, right? And the physics problem is that wire has resistance and you need fat wire to carry current. If you have thin wire and you put a lot of current through it, you burn up the wire. You know, I had, I had a flex cable in uh, in a product where there was enough juice running over some pins that it would literally burn the traces inside the flex cable mm-hmm. because there was just too much amp running through it, too much current. So they have a thick wire here for the coil. Um, but that's on the sending side on the receiving side you know, and I'd have to check this, but you you also need a coil, but it doesn't necessarily have to be the same coil there. It just has to be the same size and match up in a line. So you can have perhaps a thinner part inside the phone. Mm -hmm. I think this is the the sending side of it that we're looking at.
0: That would make sense to me. Um, I still don't really see the appeal of something like this because, I mean, if it's magnetic or whatever and it it operates much like the – the Apple watch charger does. Okay. Now I have a flat thing that lays on my desk. I plop my phone down on it and then I pick it up and it gets picked up with it. Like I'd like something that's more like a fixed to the desk or heavy enough that it well, stays or so has some suction to it that it sticks to the desk.
1: You know, it's, it's for, first of all, there are these micro suction pads that when you put them on a product, they, they suck to and stick to whatever. You yeah. Put yeah I've on, used them as long as that's a smooth yeah. surface. Um, you know, you've seen that on things like your iPad stand that you yeah. use. You know, the aluminum one that yeah, you got? Yeah, the Logitech base. Well, I wasn't thinking of that one. I was thinking of the other one that you got.
0: Oh, yeah, I have one here. I, I use it as a phone and 29-watt and, and, um, Apple Watch charger. Yeah. Or not Apple Watch, the, uh, the, uh, the iPad charger, 29-watt.
1: Yeah. So it's, it's entirely possible to put a micro suction base on something. The other thing is that the magnets don't have to be particularly strong. Right, they don't have to actually hold weight; they just need to be there so that when you put something on it, you can tell when it's aligned. And so, with with a charging plate like this, it can be a weak magnet, and you just pick the phone up. And as you pick the phone up, the thing stays on the yeah. table.
0: Yeah, I mean, it could work. I, I, don't th- I don't see this I don't see the point of this issue. because it will take up more space on your desk. I mean, having a dock is smaller, and the dock prominently displays the it's phone.
1: The convenience, the convenience of not having to align stuff. <laughs> I guess right. You you really I mean when I'm so at night I have a stand on my bed table and it has a lightning port lightning plug sticking up and I have to in the dark try and align the phone on this stand on this plug and it's not exactly easy and if I'm if I'm doing it in the dark without that stand then I have to fish around and find the port mm. and get it to plug in and yeah I can do it but would it be just simpler to simply put the phone down and have it charge yes. yes. Absolutely. And for a time we had here a, uh, and we wrote about this on the site a couple of years ago, a Myunu uh, battery yeah, case adapter, that had yeah. a charge plate and it had weak magnets in it and it was really convenient. And sure, the charger took up space on the counter when we were using it, but who cared? It was really super convenient. So I don't
0: doubt that wireless charging the iPhone is going to be a big hit. Um, I just don't care.
1: Well, you will when you get it. I don't think so then it won't matter for you, but it'll matter to else. Pretty much.
0: Else. I don't know about everybody else, especially if you have to pay extra to get the charging dock.
1: We'll see how that yeah. turns out. It's it's not entirely certain yet what Apple will do about that. Now this. So I want to talk a little bit about Casper mattress, right? Casper mattresses were developed over thousands of hours by a team of in-house engineers and they have this award-winning sleep service that combines memory foam and a springy comfort layer for just the right level of sink and bounce. And it's a breathable design. And breathable is important because you can have foam that's not breathable and you end up tossing and turning, trying to cool off at night. And so what they've done here is they have something that's supportive, has a little bit of give to it and is comfortable. And buying a Casper mattress is super easy. You, know, you just go online. They only make one. They make it in the variety of sizes, but there's just the one, so you don't have to customize it. You just say, yes, I need that size, and it comes. It's in the U.S., it's in Canada, and it's now in the U.K., and shipping and returns are free. We spend a third of our lives asleep, so it's important to sleep on something comfortable. And Casper gives you 100 nights to try it out risk-free. If you don't love it, they come back and they pick it up, and they refund you everything. You can get $50 towards any mattress purchase by visiting casper.com slash insider and using the code insider. Now, Neil, you've got one of these things, right?
0: Yeah, I've had a Casper mattress for a few years. I've been uh, very happy with it. Um, I think they're a great company. Um, I, I think it's cool that they sponsor things like the Apple's Insider Podcast. And I was actually reading um, something earlier today. Uh, There's a website that I read uh, about uh, movies uh, that is owned by the Alamo Drafthouse, which is one of my uh, favorite theaters here in Brooklyn. Um, And uh, they have a website called Birth Movies Death, where they review and talk about movies and stuff. And they've been doing these events. Um, And one of the events they have coming up in a couple weeks is uh, they're going to do a screening of the film Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind Uh, in Montauk on the beach and Casper is one of the sponsors of it and they're putting mattresses out on the beach to recreate one of the iconic scenes from the film Um, and you're going to be able to, if you can get tickets and you can make it out there, uh, watch the movie on the beach on a Casper mattress so I
1: thought that was pretty neat That sounds very cool, they're going to have a bunch of sandy mattresses (laughs) They they? are, but
0: it's brilliant marketing You know, I see their ads all over the subway and stuff so it's always cool to see um, brands like that that find innovative ways to market so kudos to them and they have a good product on top of it. Yeah,
1: definitely. Now, the thing that you and I would love to talk about. I want to talk about iPhone okay, 8. I'm ready. Are you ready? Okay. Apple iPhone 8 is going to launch in October or November. I know I'm being incredibly specific. Without a white bezel option. This is
0: the only uh, time we've heard this rumor, so take it with a very large grain of salt. Uh, but, I mean, it would make some level of sense. Um We've seen... Well, you said we were going
1: to go to four colorways in one of the previous ones, right?
0: Uh, One new color was a mirror, and then it didn't say what any of the other ones were. Um, It would be weird for them to get rid of white, just because that has been the alternate color since they started doing alternate colors. However, uh, it might make some sense with the edge-to-edge display and... Uh, wanting the bezel to look as small as you can, you know, white around the edges might make the what remaining bezel there is stand out more. Um, maybe it makes some sense in some way. I don't know. Uh, it's really hard to say at this point. I, I think that, uh, you know, <laughs> wait and see. I wouldn't uh, get out your pitchforks yet.
1: Well, they certainly know how much they're selling of each different colorway, right? They know that they're selling rose gold. They know that they're selling jet black and matte but all black. of those have white fronts and they do but people aren't specifically getting the silver and white one which was the traditional one we'd call white right maybe not i don't i don't know I... when i when i just anecdotally look around and not that my anecdotal evidence is much of, of actual evidence right it's you know anecdotes are not data but i see a ton of rose gold and a ton of of black both mm. jet and matte and I don't see a whole lot in the way of silver.
0: Maybe, maybe that's a reason for it. I don't know. It would be interesting to see, you know, if they continue to offer, for example, a gold phone, how that works with an all glass back. So you're going to have gold painted glass. And then at what point, because, you know, if you don't have it, like metal around the edges, I guess, uh, at what point does it fold into either a white or are they going to bring gold up to the edges around the screen? Like, what is it going to be? Because the the reason they do that with with the current iPhone design is it would be weird to have gold around the the bezel on the front of the screen while you're looking at it. It Yeah, it it wouldn't look very good, so they don't do that. How do they solve that with this? Is it going to have white around the front? I I, I don't know.
1: Well, and that was one of the things that that people talked about with the product red iPhone. Yeah. Right? Mm -hmm. You remember this? What color is on the front of the product red iPhone? What colors should it? A lot have of been? people felt it should be black. Yes, and and they're not wrong. You know, the the red and black is a classic combination. It looks really good, and it would have echoed back to the U2 iPod. Yeah, you know, there's there's a lot of good in that. So it's entirely possible that we see the uh, the white frame, the white front, go away, which is is interesting in part just because that was the one that was the most difficult for them to create in the first place. Mm-hmm. You know, it was it was. Uh, they announced the iPhone 4 with the white front and then weren't able to deliver it for almost a year. You have a robot vacuum cleaner in your house. I have a robot vacuum cleaner. <laughs> in in my, house my house, too? I have one in your house, too. And that's precisely why we're talking about this story. Because one of the things that happens is that Roomba was talking about, or iRobot, Roomba's parent, was talking about being able to map users' homes. And then sell those house maps to smart home vendors as both another revenue source and potentially providing some kind of service around it, right? You know, being able to sell that to smart home vendors who could then sell you, you know, you really probably ought to have like a a light bulb or a smart oven monitor or internet connected uh, smoke alarms, right? That sort of thing. All based off of the house map generated Mm -hmm. by the robot. Mm -hmm. Now, clearly I, I don't have a robot vacuum cleaner in your house. But if I did, I could see the map yep. of your apartment. So Apple, in in a move that surprises, well, yep. just about no one, has confirmed that they are not going to upload, share, or sell any of your home data that will be uh, at all generated or used or whatever with HomePod.
0: Yeah, this was a, a reader that uh, reached out to Apple and got an official response for them. And... Not particularly surprising, likely to most listeners of this podcast, just because. Um, you know, you, you guys are the most hardcore of the most hardcore that really know how the company operates. But uh, we decided to run this story today because a lot of our readers are more casual Apple fans that don't necessarily understand these things. And given the traction that this story got on Reddit and, and comments and stuff like that, um, and shares on Facebook, it clearly was something that resonated with people. But, you know, Apple's business model is not to do that kind of thing. But what, what I found very interesting about it, was uh, the reveal that all the analysis of the room is going to be done directly on the device, powered by the A8 chip, and it's going to be stored there and will not be uploaded to Apple. So some people in the comments were saying, oh, how much could you really be able to tell about a room through just audio? Uh, Well, you could tell quite a bit about just a room Um, through audio. Everything. Yeah, that's kind (laughs) of how Sonar works. Yes. So. Uh, you could tell how large the room is. Um, you know, you may not be able to tell what brand of uh, of television set they have or something, but you could certainly tell where objects are, are in the room, uh, what the general shape of the room is, um, stuff
1: that would block sound or whatever. Uh, I mean, that's just how sound works. So, well, what, because you've got speakers and the microphone, it's not just the distance and time delay for, for things telling you how big the room is. It's also... Um, what reflections are coming back. It's also mm-hmm. what frequency response sounds like in the room. So should you re-equalize the audio to accommodate right. the way that different frequencies are absorbed or reflected in the room? Th- this is stuff that has been done in some form in the past, but has only been available to consumers at super high expensive price mm-hmm. levels. Mm-hmm. This, is, this is the kind of thing that audiophile nerds Geek out on because it's it's stuff that was only available if you bought speakers that cost twenty thousand dollars, and now they're available for the the small princely sum of three hundred some.
0: And there have been more basic versions of this, um, like if you get a surround sound system, they'll tell you to put a microphone in the center of the room, and then it'll measure the distance from all that. It's not
1: exactly the same, but yeah, and and I have that all, both in the home stereo and yeah. in the car stereo.
0: Yeah, yeah, I mean perfect. that's not anything that new. Time will tell how advanced Apple's is. It could be some, uh, you know, snake oil sales going on here too, uh, and just making it sound more fancy. Than it is because how much can you really put into a three hundred fifty dollars device? But regardless, the reason that this is relevant to people that are kind of dismissing
1: it is because, well, I, I think. Yeah. Hold on, hold on, stop, stop everything. Uh, let me let's let's clarify. The systems for the home stereos and receivers and the audio car receivers that measure the room do it by playing white noise through each different individual speaker and then measuring that back. My understanding is that HomePod does not go through a setup rigmarole playing white noise. And that's part of what's unique here is that it just plays the audio and it's listening to the audio come back.
0: Well, the problem is... And matching that. The, so the you, problem is this thing is not actually shipping. So we can say what it's supposed to yeah. do, but until we get it in our hands, which by the way, is not for five more months. Um, let's yeah. You're,
1: sure. you're buying me one, right <laughs> now? I, I mean,
0: awesome. you know, it'll probably be pretty cool knowing Apple, but still, uh, you know, we try to be objective about this stuff. You take everything with a grain of salt, whatever Apple is going to ship, we'll, we'll review it based on that. But this is what they claim it's going to do in practice. Um who knows,
1: we'll see. So, iRobot wants to spy on you and report what your home looks like inside Apple will. Not.
0: iRobot sees it as a potential yeah. revenue stream for customers that opt in. To make it clear, it's not like they're just by default taking this information, but uh while some people like us may pay attention to what we're agreeing to, a lot of people don't and wouldn't realize and if they did know what was going on, they probably wouldn't be happy about it.
1: Well, and it's important to understand is you know, why does your vacuum cleaner need to map your house in the first place? And it's, it's a useful or semi-useful feature if we're talking just about vacuuming. You know, when, when my vacuum cleaner drives around the house and finishes and returns to its base to charge, I get a map showing where it's been. So, I know how much of the place actually got vacuumed. Was there some obstacle in the way that prevented it from getting to one corner of the room kind of thing? That's really the utility. That's, that's the right. use case. There's there's nothing quite amazing about it. And you can't really do anything beyond seeing that and observing that yeah, yes, you know, you couldn't get behind the the leg of that chair there. Okay, big deal. That's yep. that's all there is to this. Yep. It's it's not a whole lot more. Now, let me ask you a question. How many emails do you <laughs> have in your inbox right now?
0: Uh my work inbox currently says I have sixteen thousand four hundred ninety-one unread emails.
1: Yep, nice. That's pretty awesome. I I used to have a um, an email forwarding rule set up so that I would forward it to another email account yeah. just so that everything got archived. And I would never actually read it because right. it was the archive. What did I care? And so I had about eight hundred ninety-seven thousand four hundred thirty-one.
0: Yeah, my uh, uh, my work email forwards to a Gmail account, and it fills up because they, you know, you get all this crap from PR companies, whatever, and it fills up every couple of years. So I'll go back and say, okay, everything from two thousand fourteen and earlier just gets deleted. I don't care if I haven't dealt with it in three years. If I haven't responded to you in three years, I don't need it.
1: Yeah. So if your email is anything like ours. The, the answer is not this number. The answer is simply just too many. So the secret to reaching inbox zero, the, the secret to taking back email sanity, is something called SaneBox. And SaneBox sorts through your email. And really, I can't recommend enough. SaneBox sorts through your email and moves all the trivial stuff into a different folder. So the only messages in your inbox are the ones you actually want to see, saving the average user 10 to 12 hours a month on email time. And because we could all use a little more organization in our email lives, we've got a deal for our listeners. If you visit SaneBox.com slash Apple Insider, they'll throw in an extra $25 credit on top of the two-week free trial. So you get a two-week free trial, and if you visit SaneBox.com slash Apple Insider, that's S-A-N-E-B-O-X.com slash Apple Insider, you get an additional $25 credit on top of that. This is a story that was near to me. This is one that I was interested in. So... There's a patent that was published on Thursday that shows a method of overlaying interactive digital information onto real-world environments displayed on a portable device screen. Now, this is basically AR kit, right? This is augmented reality so far. And the, the, the patent has covers a method for representing points of interest in a view of a real environment. So if you're holding your phone up around, then you can see POIs, which is cool useful. Landmarks, buildings, other popular objects, uh, that sort of thing. And, and this has been done before in a couple of ways, but this patent takes the idea beyond just two-dimensional maps and adds augmented reality into the mix and is is a little bit different in how it's doing it. What really resonated with this patent for me, what made me interested, is that at the very end of it, there's a detail mm-hmm. about a head-mounted display you know it's not just about the doing this on the phone screen it's also being able to interact with point of interest overlays with a head mounted display and being able to reach out in front of your face to to manipulate it so there's the display there's augmented reality and there's hand tracking involved which is seriously cool now we know that that this is um part of of IP that's being reassigned from Mateo, which was purchased mm-hmm. in 2015. But Apple's made a number of purchases in this kind of space, and I think it was one of the other companies that they've purchased that had the hand tracking. Yeah, uh, PrimeSense had it. Uh, PrimeSense mm-hmm. and also SMI, I believe. So this is this is sort of what it looks like when all of these different things yeah. begin to coalesce, right? They've purchased several different companies in this space. They've purchased some that do some of the same kinds of things, albeit different ways. And we're sort of watching it in slow motion come together.
0: Yeah, I've said all along, I see the iPhone as kind of the center of the platform for AR and VR. Uh, This continues along those lines. I don't see Apple making an actual head-mounted display, but I could see them making a head-mounted display that connects to your iPhone and uses its processing power and capabilities.
1: And I I sort of see that coming after we've had yeah, ARKit for about a year. You know the the problem that has always been where's the content, and so this is Apple's method of generating the content, having developers get on board and generate the content, and then once the content's in place, then we get the head-mounted display. And it's it's entirely possible, right? We've got the watch, we got the phone, and the phone is the center of the world, or has been the center of the world for a long time. But I, I think that what happens is just as we talked at the beginning about the Apple Watch getting an LTE radio, and the watch becoming more independent. That after you've established, here's what the head-mounted display looks like. Here's how it works with the phone for a couple of generations. Yeah. That you can then divorce it from the phone. Just the same. I, I just you don't see Apple the making watch it from the phone. display. I I think they do. I just think that it's a ways off.
0: Yeah, it, it it might be a long ways off in a very different world than we're in now, but. I still see it as like a a niche product and something that they want to cater to, but not something that they would be interested in selling in limited quantities.
1: I give it a couple of years because right now augmented reality is a niche thing, but we're going to reach a point where many apps that you interact with daily are augmented reality applications and it becomes second nature. And once it becomes second nature, then having a new display doesn't seem out of place. I could see that, yeah. I,
0: I just don't see it as a market that Apple is going to be in a rush to get into.
1: As I say, it, all, it takes time. Yeah, this is happening over. This is something that's probably going to come together over a longer timeline.
0: Yeah, it's too geeky, and you know, today st- stuff like uh, you know, augmented reality contact lenses is like we we don't have the technology to make that kind of stuff. So it's
1: just science um, fiction today.
0: Yet, <laughs> right? At one point, we might get there, but again. You know, I don't wear glasses. I don't wear contacts. Do I really want to start wearing glasses just to get those features?
1: I, I, and many people said that they didn't wear a watch, but now you all, you know, why would I care ever wear a watch? I've got a phone, right, right. And yet, tons of people are now wearing watches that did not wear watches before.
0: That's true. Yeah.
1: So it's it's certainly within the realm of possibility. Yeah, you'll give me that.
0: Absolutely. I don't deny that. Yeah. Okay, I'll take
1: it. iOS eleven. We published a story about the coolest AR kit demos that we've seen so far, and I want to talk about them. So, yeah. here we go. Um, you know, I just said that there are going to be applications that are casual use, that are things that you can do every day without thinking about it. One of the ones that I really liked was a one a demo made by a developer named Smart Picture, and this is room measurement application. I think we mentioned this a couple of weeks ago. Where you hold the phone up and tap on it to set endpoints as walls start and stop, and it traces and tells you the dimension of each wall, and then calculates the area yep. of the room. How useful is that? Quite useful. I think it's I think it's incredibly useful. Yeah. Um, you know, and there have been applications that have tried to do that in the past without ARKit, but this demo looks so simple and so clean. I, I love it. It really is great. You're trying to figure out how big your room is and whether or not something will fit. This is perfect. Mm -hmm. Um, We know that Ikea, for example, Ikea is huge into doing things in virtual reality. Ikea has, for years, their whole catalog, their catalog is a lie. Every part of their catalog is a computer-generated image. There are no photographs in their catalog. And so I fully expect them to adopt this kind of thing so that you can see and place furniture and in fact we have a demo from Asher Vollmer who shows a, a catalog of furniture that he's created in an kit, and you orient which you, you place it in a room and orient which direction it's going to go and it literally drops in from the top of the screen mm-hmm. and then you can resize it and rescale it and arrange a room and see what it's like now this is a big deal a lot of people say why does this matter what, what, what is this for and what you, you realize is that there are people who have vision, people who are able to visualize something, right? And there are people who cannot visualize things. And for all the people who have difficulty visualizing what something looks like if the color changes, yeah. what something looks like if we rearrange the furniture without actually moving furniture around, mm-hmm. people who, who need to actually see it to understand, this is the answer.
0: Yep. What's that carpet going to look like on the floor? What's that paint color going to look like if I paint the wall? You know, run down the list.
1: Precisely. What, what happens if we paint the outside of the house white instead of gray? What happens if we change the door from blue to red? And, you know, there are people who say, well, it sounds like a nice idea in theory, but I can't picture it. Now you can. I think that makes a huge difference. And I think that's going to have uh, knock on effects, not just for the homeowner or the apartment dweller, but also for architects and interior designers. Yeah, I agree. Right? It's it's big. Um, you know, there there are tons of fun demos as well, right? There's the blob that works in conjunction with Vive and AR Kit, and so you you see someone painting and having a blob, an animated blob, paint mm-hmm. along with you. That's kind of cool. Um, there was a demo of someone dropping Mickey Mouse into a scene in front of the D23 Expo, which is the the Disney mm-hmm. fan event. And so now we can talk about now is is dropping Mickey Mouse into a scene in front of D twenty three a big deal? Well, on its face, probably not. But when you talk about how you enable people to do this easily, right? Before you would have had to code your own virtual environment and your own APIs and the whole thing from scratch. Being able to simply do it fast and simple and drop them into to uh, you know this pre existing environment makes it a big deal for. You know, advertising, for promotion, for events.
0: Remember in, back in 1999, what a big deal it was to have an entirely digital character on the screen in Star Wars The Phantom Menace. Jar Jar Binks was for all the... Horribleness that is remember He's remembered for the character and for how poor the special well, effects so were. So the problem is that not- was that was a revolutionary thing at the time to have a character on the screen throughout the movie who was 100 digital from head to toe, walking around, interacting with other people. And so now you think about the, all the effort and all the time and all the money that was spent on that back then to do that. Now you're going to be able to do it on your phone for basically nothing.
1: Yes. Now the. The thing that I would say about that movie is that this is the sort of thing that happens when someone gets a new tool, right? That when you first get a new tool in your toolbox, you get a shiny new toy. You want to use it everywhere. And so George Lucas finally had this shiny new toy in his toolbox, and so he used it literally everywhere. And we got all kinds of new aliens and creatures and uh, new things in the, the cantina kind of thing. And also this full motion character that could work for the whole movie. And the same happened with Yoda as well.
0: Yeah. It it took us a little while before we got to- He went nuts. He used it everywhere. It took- It's not- It wasn't refined. It it took us a little while before we got to Andy Serkis as Gollum and then, you know, Planet of the Apes um, and and where we're at now in terms of digital characters on screen, um, which are obviously way more impressive than the first one. But credit to where it's due- uh, you know, The Phantom Menace and Jar Jar Binks was a groundbreaking achievement in terms of never really having been done at that scale before. But it's funny to think that now, starting this fall with iOS 11, you could basically make a home movie and do that with your phone
1: in your pocket. Well, I'd think of Toy Story, right? The the first Toy Story, uh, the surfaces of everything look very, very... Um, they, they, yeah. They're a matte surface. right? They don't have any yeah. gloss to them. They frequently don't have any life to them in, in that kind of reflecting light kind of way. Uh, they tend to absorb the light, it looks like. And if you look at Toy Story 3, Rex, the plastic dinosaur character, totally different. Completely changed in terms of texture and everything. It, the, these things all get better, and I th- I, I'm with you. You could totally make a movie using AR kit. And that's something that is going to happen, and it's going to happen... So when you do ARKit, you aren't just using ARKit, you're also using things like Unity or Unreal. And Unity has a whole section in their documentation on using it to make cinema, using Unity to make movies. And so I foresee a combination between using Unity to make movies, which is something that they support and that they have tools for, and ARKit and being able to to turn the surface in front of you into the stage, into the, the scene for viewing. Um, you know, and this goes back to, so all the, all the ideas, right, all the technological developments from the past hundred years come out of fiction. This is this is something that I can make as a, as a theory saying, you know, we've had how much technology come out of Star Trek, right? The idea of people walking around with tablets came out of Star Trek. The idea of people walking around with encyclopedias in, in their hands came out of Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Um, the idea for the first head-mounted display goggles that took you to a different reality, um, immersed you in a different reality, came from a book written in the 1930s. There's a ton of of stuff. The idea of communicators, which look a lot like flip phones or cell phones, right? Or wireless communication like the badges on Star. All of this stuff comes
0: you No, if you're, L- if you're L. Ron Hubbard, it comes and from suppressed it, memories of a past life, so... Well... Uh, <laughs>
1: I can't even begin (laughs) to get into that. But, you know, the and and, and sort of this weird interaction, right? The idea that QuickTime could play multiple audio streams at once came from a Star Trek episode where the character Data and the Next Generation was playing multiple streams of audio all at the same time. And the guys at Apple went and said, yeah, we could do that, actually. And they did after mm-hmm. having seen that episode. There's a ton of, of interplay between fiction and reality like this. And I think back to the science fiction prediction that we would have 3D television. Well, pretty soon we won't right? have 3D television again. And that we would have holograms projected onto surfaces so that we had right. 3D television. And it, the, the 3D TVs of a couple of years ago were not really good 3D TVs. No. The okay. idea of using AR kit as 3D TV is yes. huge. And that delivers for me on the promise of what we were talking I about as that. 3D TV. But it's it's not just about entertainment. You know, uh, urban planning. I mentioned architecture a little bit ago. But urban planning, if you took maps, you could take buildings and you could plan roads and you could lay it out and virtually experience what you've laid out. That's a huge deal. Urban planning yeah. is kind of a hard thing. You know, you, you have different layers, right? Whether you've got buildings, roads, um, an underground subway system, you have a lot to work with there. And being able to develop as a part of a panorama and then simulate and, mm-hmm. and is huge. It redefines everything. Uh, you know, we're seeing turn-based gaming, right? Tabletop games. Well, Directive Games has a, a game called The Machines which they've already set up and are running on ARKit powered by Unreal Engine 4. It's impressive.
0: And this is all early days. This is stuff that uh, has been done, you know, just with demo software without any consumers to buy it yet. So it's only going to get better.
1: You uh, Did you see the uh, AHA? Yeah, ARKit that was demo? great. I like that a lot. Yeah. So um, there was the band AHA from the 80s. About 1984, I want to say. It was one of the, the top 100 songs on MTV. And Take On Me was this video that was the interplay between the real world and a hand-drawn world. It was an animated music video. And a Chicago studio has recreated that kind of animation, but using ARKit is able to Mm -hmm. render it in real time. So, the thing that we saw as as a fictional work in a music video in 1984… Is and now you take real.
0: that and you combine that with the screen recording capabilities built into iOS 11, and now you can literally just hold the camera up, shoot something like that, export it, put it on YouTube, and you've just made the aha video, which probably took millions of dollars to make and just done it with your $400 iPhone SE or whatever.
1: Exactly. How many months to animate did that thing take? Probably Many. And it's done. Yeah, it's 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 going to
0: be it's going to be exciting. You know, uh, one of my favorite apps, uh, you know, early days of augmented reality. It's been around for many years, but it's a popular app is um, J.J. Abrams action movie
1: app. It's a great app. (laughs) You like putting the lens flare on the. Yeah, like
0: and you can have it like look like, you know, uh, a building's falling down on somebody or whatever. And it's it's cheesy and it's not like the way it's going to be with our AR kit. But think about an action movie app, but with AR kit. It's going to be really cool.
1: You know what we need? Is we need a way to, just as there's inter-audio communication, Mm -hmm. inter-app audio communication, where you can share audio and link it from one application to the next. We need to have ways to share augmented reality between applications.
0: Yeah, mix them or whatever and...
1: Oh well, mix them or or be able to take things done with one augmented reality app and then share them to another one and impose more stuff to it so that I can shoot something in the aha method and then impose action stuff on yeah. top of it from the other one. Um and, and also for live video, right? I should be able to hold yes. a FaceTime call with augmented reality. I should be able to look like right. a I mean they, are, they already did that in, in to, to my caller mm-hmm. Years ago, yes. That was all done using. Oh, I'm blanking on the name. Um, mm. Uh, It wasn't. What it was? It wasn't Core Graphics. It was. uh, There's a tool that used to ship with the the X with X Tools with the the developer set with Xcode that basically allowed you to program by wiring up different inputs and outputs. And so all of those plugins, uh, Quartz Composer. Quartz Composer is what I'm thinking of. Um, all of those kinds of plugins for iChat years ago were done with Quartz Composer. And it would be super cool to, to be able to do that same kind of thing with augmented reality and ARKit into FaceTime.
0: I wonder if they could do something with when, when you're recording the video and saving it, it would remember positional and distance data in the file itself. So say record a video and then load it into an AR app that could then apply uh, AR after the fact so what you're talking about with combining you know one AR app and another and allowing them to kind of plug into one another what if the necessary data to do what you want was already in the uh, the video file itself right because they're already rendering all that in real time so saving it can't be that difficult
1: yeah and one of the interesting things is remember litro yeah so litro was all about measuring the distance and being able to refocus after the fact mm-hmm And they were convinced that they were going to be the next big thing in filmmaking, right? They cut off their consumer entity and started trying to make cameras for movies. Yeah. And it's a cool idea. But if you have positional data, if you have distance data, can you do something like that with your iPhone?
0: If you have two lenses, yeah.
1: Okay. So this gets interesting, right? It gets very interesting. What if... Instead of have you know some people, a few people, filmmakers, having a Litro camera basically. If everyone has one, then everyone has the ability to make movies and things like this. Not it's just a Litro
0: camera, but a Litro camera connected to a very powerful computer in your pocket.
1: Yes. I like this feature. hmm It's exciting. We have a series of stories that we're gonna cover here. And they're they're interesting. So we've been talking a little bit about and and there's been a discussion going on in the United States about manufacturing in the U S and you know, there's, it's, it's interesting because every, every, uh, you know, every, every part of political life talks about the economy and every part of political life talks about the job market and things like that. So, you know, jobs and job growth and job numbers. So Foxconn is, is going to be bringing a factory or a, Trio of factories to the U.S. No, just one. Just one. See, that's the thing is that we had a number of stories on this. Well, there was a mix. Yeah. Well, that <laughs> fake so news. So it started. Yeah. <laughs> oh dear. So it starts with um, United States President Trump said in an interview with the Wall Street Journal that Tim Cook allegedly promised him three big plants, and the quote is three big plants, big, big, big.
0: All right. Well, there's a number of problems with that story, and there's a reason that we report on it skeptically. Regardless of how you feel about Donald Trump, good or bad, whatever it is, these are just the facts. Apple has one manufacturing plant in the entire world. It's not in the United States. That's fine. They have some partners elsewhere. They've assembled stuff. They've even assembled some Macs at some points in the United States, uh, including at factories they used to have there. That's fine, too. Uh,
1: And they used to have uh, manufacturing in California. Right.
0: Uh, Now they have some manufacturing done in Ireland, but everything else is outsourced. Um, so if Apple were to get into the manufacturing business, which they have shown no indication that they would like to do, but however, if they wanted to get into the manufacturing business and open up three plants in the United States, that would be very big news. And and Donald Trump would have very much to be excited about, um, to have that sort of thing happen under his watch. Uh, having said that, uh, we reported that initial story with some skepticism because, um uh, Donald Trump tends to play a little loosely with the facts and how he presents things and the truth yeah. of it is Apple has always for the pa- past you know uh, 30 years or whatever partnered with uh manufacturing partners that handle the bulk of their production for them
1: so Fox right. they the they contract out manufacturing to partners that manufacture for them.
0: Right. So when we initially covered this story, we presented it from a perspective of Donald Trump said Apple is going to open three factories in the United States. That's probably not going to happen. What's probably going to happen is that uh, Apple is going to, one of their partners maybe is going to produce some Apple products in the United States. Well, what ended up happening was even less than that. What ended up happening was there was a big announcement with uh, a bunch of Republicans uh, touting um, on Wednesday that Foxconn um, was is planning to, by 2020, open a plant to produce uh, d- displays for large format TVs for Sharp uh, in Wisconsin and they hope to they say it's going to have about 3000 jobs there and they hope that they can eventually have you know uh, 12000 jobs uh, as a result of you know ancillary things associated with the with the factory or whatever uh this factory has nothing to do with apple there's absolutely no indication that apple is going to have anything manufactured there or use any parts from this place uh, and there's no Apple manufacturing in America, despite what Donald Trump said. Having said all of that, it's possible that maybe Apple has an announcement waiting until later this year, or next year or something. Who knows? Maybe Tim Cook told Donald Trump that they really are going to build three factories here. That may all end up happening. But considering everything that played out this week and the way it went down, I think that. Um, there was a way to hype it to make it a little more exciting. And I think that saying Apple is a little more exciting than Foxconn. Um, certainly, we are guilty of it and m- news organizations are guilty of it. Uh, you look at all the stories that came out, it says Apple partner Foxconn building factory, even though they have yeah. – because getting Apple in a headline gets people interested, Right. And, and that's not meant to be deceptive or to be dishonest with people. It's to try to get them to be interested in a story that they would otherwise ignore. You gotta think about it from Joe Public's perspective. They don't know what Foxconn is, they don't care. They read that Foxconn's gonna build a factory in Wisconsin and they go, why do I care? But if you read that the person or the company that builds iPhones is gonna make a factory in Wisconsin, even though they're not gonna make iPhones there, that's still pretty exciting. And so that's why it's presented that way. I think that what happened in this case was Donald Trump took it a step further and just said Apple's gonna do it, which is factually inaccurate. Um, and is not what we have found thus far. Now, if that ends up changing and Apple does build three factories in the United States and starts making goods here, I will happily eat my words because I think that's a very good thing for the United States economy.
1: Well, and as you say, it's it's happened before, right? There were the uh, the, the trash can Power Macs, yes. For example, were the most recent product assembled in the U.S.
0: Uh, I think they built some. It wasn't uh, they weren't building them themselves, but it was partnered with. Um, uh, somebody has a manufacturing uh, assembly line in the US, and some iMacs
1: were being built here. Um, Recent iMacs? Yeah, like as of like five years ago, I think it was, or something. Okay, so the the last I knew iMacs that were manufactured in the US were the uh, original iMacs manufactured in California. But the, the trash can Power Macs were made, uh, trash can uh, Mac Pros rather, sorry, yeah, Mac Power Pro. Mac on the brain, um, were made in Texas. Right, yeah. So it's it's entirely possible, but it's it's not exactly uh, not, likely.
0: Well, and not something you can do it at scale. Now, having said that, could Apple build maybe HomePods in the United States, or could they build iPod touches, or well, probably something larger would be, make more sense. So like a a Mac, like a. Uh, maybe even like a, a Mac mini or something, you know, low volume, uh, easier for assembly for uh, workers that don't have the skills without an assembly line machines to do it. Yeah, that, that's possible. But they're not going to be making iPhones in the United States uh, for a whole host of reasons. Uh, wages, uh, skill of workers, uh, availability of
1: resources, uh, well, location and, of and parts. There's, there's no positive incentive requiring it, right? A- Apple's right. partners produce iPhones in Brazil and in India and that's in response to local conditions that require it but there's there's no such requirement that says that things have to be made in the US and so they aren't
0: and they're making limited production of those phones too it's more of a nominal gesture than than actually when they're cranking out a bunch of iPhone 7s when they're cranking out a bunch of iPhone 7s this fall it's not going to be in Brazil it's going to be in no, a Foxconn no. plant in China
1: Absolutely correct. No, they the the Brazilian plant and the Indian production exist for local compliance matters. Yep, they they exist to satisfy that requirement. Yep, but Foxconn. It should be said, Foxconn is a very very large company. Yes, Foxconn has many many different project managers and many 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 different production lines and and many they customers. Produce
0: they produce for Microsoft. For many clients, they produce for. Dell, they produce for HP, they produce for uh, Google, Sharp, Sharp uh, run down the list. If you have, you know, an assembled electronic device in your house, it probably came from a Foxconn plant. Or Pegatron. Or Pegatron, but mostly Foxconn. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So that was that story. Yep. Thank you for helping work through it with me. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, and it's it's not a small thing. are we're, we, we're talking about it like as a small thing because it's not Apple, but this is a twenty thousand square foot facility, three thousand jobs, and potentially ten billion over the next three years spent on it. Yeah, it's it's not something that we should minimize. It's just that that uh, it's not all it was cracked up to be at the initial story. Yeah. All right. Tell me about the Zungle Panther. <laughs> which I'm, I'm just going to repeat that for our, for the benefit of everyone. There is a product whose name is Zungle Panther.
0: I'm going to get through this very quick, get on to a big story that we missed, and then we can wrap it. Uh, the Zungle Panther are a pair of bone-conducting Bluetooth speaker sunglasses. Uh, they look like regular sunglasses. They're a little chunky, but when you put them on your head, you don't notice. And the idea is that they keep your ears open so that if you're you know riding a bike or skateboarding or whatever you can hear traffic around you you can hear people you're less likely to get into an accident the audio going into your head is actually through a piece of supposedly bone conducting uh rubber or whatever that is on the back of the stem for lack of a better word temple Tem- that's called a temple well it, it runs behind your ear the the, the Whatever yeah, it is, part of the, gla- the part of the
1: eyeglasses is called the temple. Okay,
0: well, it runs behind your ear, and that's confusing because you have a temple on your head. So anyhow, um, didn't say terms had to make sense. <laughs> Just
1: that they have terms. So
0: the pieces on the back of the temple um, stick to your head and very snugly and work to allow you to hear audio. I tested them out today. Um, we have a first look up on the site. They cost 150 bucks. They squeeze your head like a vice grip. Uh, You can actually hear the audio when you take them off and people around you can hear the audio. Um, It's, I mean, does it keep your ears open so you can hear noise around you? Yes. Um, Do they look like regular sunglasses? Yes. Other than that, would I recommend this product? Not really. I mean, I guess if you want to have some audio playing kind of around you and sort of, you know, in a tinny way, and to be able to hear cars while you're going around, uh, then that might have some appeal for some people. But for the ma- vast majority of consumers, don't bother. It squeezes your head. Uh, they don't fit very well. It's not like I have a huge noggin. And um, I found them to be very uncomfortable and they gave me a headache. So I don't yeah. think I can recommend that product. But I,
1: I, I want to point out that uh, Google Glass used to do bone conduction for its audio. Or rather, I should say it still does bone probably conduction. Probably a, a much better audio. version of it. Uh, probably. And... There they considered fit to be very important, so it was actually comfortable. Yeah, it's still yeah, with these, a little bit tinny. With
0: these, but people are saying it's not actually bone conduction. It's little speakers in there. I don't even know. It, but you can hear them when you take them off. Like, it's audible.
1: Which is Yeah, I don't remember being able to hear Google Glass.
0: I yeah, I don't I don't think that's how bone conduction is supposed to work. So it's questionable whether it's actually bone conduction.
1: But there you go. The sto- But with a name like Zungle Panther, <laughs> how can you refuse? <laughs> the
0: story I wanted to at least acknowledge before we sign off because we didn't talk about it. Adobe announced that Flash is dead, Uh, end-of-life plans for Adobe Flash. They're going to stop distribution of it by 2020, helping um, content partners and creators phase it out. Uh, We still have a lot of Flash on the Internet. Uh, Apple has done their part uh, in the years since Steve Jobs penned his very famous 2010 Thoughts on Flash memo, talking about how it was unfit for the modern era. Um, It'll be dead in in three more years. We're just uh, kind of...
1: Well, it's... You know, we've, we've effectively killed it anyway, right? It's been out of Max for ages. Try to to... In terms go of not being distributed in Safari and, and things like that. It's been off of Chrome for about a year. Try to go
0: to your cable provider's website and watch some video. Try to go to a lot of major websites and watch some video and see how well it goes.
1: Right. But here's the thing is that it's not in Chrome. It's not in... Um, Safari and it's not available as a plugin for whatever the heck uh, Microsoft's calling their browser now Edge. Right. So, being able to watch that media is is becoming harder and harder every day. Yeah. And as it becomes more and more difficult to watch that media, content providers are going to stop using that to provide media. Right. Cuz no one will be able to see it. Yeah. So, whether or not it's by policy, by Adobe retiring it, or or by just the fact that it doesn't work anymore, um, it's going away. Adobe saying it's going away just helps speed that up.
0: Yep. It's dead. It's over. It's, it's, it's gone. It's going to take another three years, it's, but hopefully we don't see any more. Up daisies. Yep. Goodbye to Adobe Flash. Steve Jobs. This is a dead parent. Steve Jobs helped push it over the edge, and thank you for that, Steve.
1: Oh. You know what? We should do the typical closer. Sure. Neil, where can people find you on the internet?
0: Uh, you can read my musings at appleinsider.com, and you can follow me on Twitter at
1: this is N-E-I-L. And you can find me at, at VMarks on Twitter. We are going to be back next week. I want to talk CarPlay when we do next week, and we will see you then. Right. Thank you for listening.